welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. This is Neil. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men, be reconstructing the South. Doc is? Yeah. <laughs> Giant head. All right, come on, Darren. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh. We affirm that nations possess an inviolable right to establish justice and safeguard the peace and prosperity of their own citizens in the face of unjust international pressures. We affirm that the specific short-term priorities of Christian nationalism in the context of the United States are repentance and faith, which which leads to the abolition abolition of abortion, abortion. the defeat of the LGBTQ agendas, uh, various insanities and coercion, placing parents in control of education, caring for widows and orphans, de-weaponizing the federal and state bureaucracies which target Christians for censorship, and persecution, securing our borders, recapturing our national sovereignty from godless global entities who present a grave threat to civilization like the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, etc. All of the lizard people. (laughs) And exercising far more restraint in American international military invention and adventurism in overseas quote-unquote democracy building. We affirm that different forms of government can achieve just laws, and we do not seek to coerce nations into one particular form of government. We deny that seeking to maintain and assert national sovereignty against wicked global entities has anything to do with dislike for any particular race or nation. We deny that that the sin of racism, any any place in the uh, Church of Jesus Christ or in the nation that seeks to honor him, on the contrary, a Christian nation would be impartial to judgment. All right. So before we hit on the uh, the sin of racism, um, you know, because we're all a bunch of racists on here, um, I don't think it's the government's job to be caring for widows and orphans. Um, I, th- I think that's primarily the church's job. And then uh, if we go back up to sphere sovereignty, um, I do not believe that the government has an obligation nor the authority within that realm. Now, I think they should, they, they, they can absolutely make it easier for the common man and the church to help out widows and orphans. Um, I think orphanages should be ran by the church, you know, like they've been in the past, and that widows should be taken care of by the church. And one of the ways that we can actually, you know, foster that type of mentality is, you know, tax breaks, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, in small instances, I guess I wouldn't mind um, some form of like government policies to actually help out with that. But the problem is, is I just don't think that's within the realm of authority. Um, what policies, you know, I could be thinking of is, is, um, you know, I'm going to use the scary S word here, but, but a uh, small, uh, small like socialism. Of course, that would require a a more hom- harmonious and homogenistic society for that to actually take hold and actually be effective. Uh, we can see something like this in the um, a lot of the European countries that 
you know, the socialists like to tout that they're also literally ethnostates. Uh, but anyways, what, what do y'all think on, on what I just said? I mean, well, I, oh, go ahead, Neil. I just, I kind of want to rewind back uh, to what you're saying. There's a lot. There's a lot to cover right there. Uh, just in your point, I, I agree with a lot of it. I agree with the sentiment that uh, it shouldn't be the government's job uh, to do certain things. But I just want to make sure we remember, um, as Southerners ourselves, we're in the main thesis of, say, Wolf's book is particularism, and that is uh, we are particular people in a particular place, and we do things a particular way with no um, no judgment towards other localities and how they would carry out certain policies, as long as it's not some global. Like the whole point is is to maintain our section without uh, impediments from external forces. So. Within context of nationalism, we wouldn't want global entities or other international entities coming in and influencing us as as, as an American nation. But more specifically, as a, a Southern sectionalist, I think you guys are Southern sectionalists. I think you'd agree with me on this. We don't want the greater United States to even come in and, and do this to us. Because uh, I don't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Yoram Hazoni or somebody recently had tweeted about how, you know, Without the without the Tenth Amendment and because of the Commerce Clause and various other things, you know, we we might as well not even be calling the states states because they're not even sovereign. But getting back to your point, um, I don't know if you guys are reading Wolf's book right now, but I am on Chapter Five: Cultural Christianity, and there's an awesome segment. I would very much like to read uh, a part of it, if that's okay with you guys. Fine by me. Wait a minute, we have to actually read the book? Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, I'll try to read fast, but not sound like an idiot. Uh, Too late. Yeah, oh, dang it. Alright, so here we go. <laughs> this is actually in the concluding remarks of this chapter. Uh, final considerations, the family and the church. <clears throat> All Christians today agree that the family is a vital source for transmitting the faith to the younger generation. It is not clear, however, why the family can play this role, but not civil society. Being a member of a Christian family does not save any of its members. No one accuses Christian families of being hypocrite factories, sending their kids straight to hell. So why is, it prepar why is preparation permitted in the home, but not in the civil society? It seems that the typical reasons to reject cultural Christianity strike just as hard against Christian families. One might argue that while the family and the church call people to faith, civil society plays the role of testing that faith. But what a strange interaction of forces. Was God's plan really to subject the little family and local churches to such powerful hostile forces and give them this narrow window of time, perhaps a dozen or so years, to prepare children for faith before tossing them to the world for testing? It is absurd to think that this arrangement is part of God's prescriptive will. By its design, the family is naturally permeable. It is not buffered or shielded from outside forces. It was not designed to be a bulwark against a godless social world. Living well in this world requires a combination of spheres that form a whole. The family, civil society, including civil government, and churches. We can distinguish them, but each nevertheless permeates the other. 
The critics of cultural Christianity recognize its permeability and wholeness, but they think that the institutional church is able to permeate the family to aid them in resisting any negative influence from hostile civil society. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite parts. Ray Ortland, a Baptist minister in Tennessee, in celebrating the, quote, decline of the Bible Belt religion, end quote, uh, echoing Russell Moore, calls for churches to stand out with the beauty of gospel culture. As with most critics of cultural Christianity, Ortland assumes a sort of ecclesiocentrism in which the institutional church has become a quasi-alternative civil society, taking on a distinct Christian culture. Hence, he does not deny that Christians need a Christian culture, only he makes the church the steer of that culture. The church is thus more than an administration of sacred things for eternal life. It is the site for gospel culture, which supplies Christians the sort of relationship and goods that they might get in civil society if they were Christian. At least intuitively, everyone seems to recognize that when you reject the idea of Christian civil society, some essential element of life is left unaccounted for. And so you must expand the church's functions and roles in the life of a believer. As a result, you get a church full of programs, ministry teams, on-site outlets for Christian resources for most areas of life. You effectively get an ecclesial civil association, a conflation of two species of association that effectively confounds both. I am no longer surprised by the regularity of Christian opinion pieces claiming that the church must do more for this is that group for this or that group, or to solve this or that problem among Christians. This is an ever-expanding mission creep and expanding market of resources to cope with social hostility. It is popular to attack the program's mindset of megachurches, but what should we expect from churches? If Christians must live in a hostile society, they will naturally begin demanding the, sort of, the sorts of goods and services that civil society is supposed to provide. Can we blame the average Christian for desiring a church that provides her a range of trusted services? This is why churches have created extensive programs and large signs advertising. Churches have children's ministries, schools, sports programs, family counseling, and an array of special interest support groups and clubs, all accented with Christianity, each labeled a quote-unquote ministry. In consequence, Sunday morning is oriented around advertising spiritual resources for seekers, or ways to serve rather than the worship of God, this is a natural consequence of giving up civil society to godlessness. The institutional church, however, was not designed to be a replacement for civil society, nor is the pastoral office a civil office or a business CEO or a mental health administrator. We're fools if we think that a gospel culture that is limited to the ecclesial sphere is sufficient. The church's concern for its divine design is that worship of God and ministering sacred things for the good of the soul and eternal life. Churches can certainly take an additional, can take on additional services and roles, but these are accidental to its purpose. The rejection of cultural Christianity necessarily leads to an erroneous, confused ecclesiology in which the ecclesial sphere takes on duties suitable for civil society. As a result, it performs these duties poorly, distracts the church from the principal role, families remain ill-equipped to resist the world. <laughs> now, having read all that, <clears throat> I agree with, with Travis's sentiment that it needs to be somebody besides the government, but I also think it needs to be somebody besides the institutional church. Now, when you say church, I assume you mean like the communion of saints, not necessarily the institutional church. Yeah, Although yeah, not, not the 
ecclesiastical body. I'm talking about more more holistically, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, us three are are, are are the church type deal. I just um, want to put that. I just want to read that though, because since this statement, let's be honest, this the statement Christian nationalism was put out in light of Stephen Wolf's book. So I don't want people to think like, oh, you know, they're calling they're calling for they're calling for socialism or whatever, and it's like, well. I mean, they may be calling for social programs, but like I said a minute ago, like if that's that's probably something they could probably take out of there because, it, like you said, they shouldn't necessarily be appealing uh, immediately to government powers to provide these certain things. It should be more uh, general with reference to the desires and and the prudent the decisions of that locality, not. An entire nation. That makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. Oh, go ahead. So, so kind of in this vein, um, I made a, I made a tweet, uh, yesterday. Uh, in the last five years, my politics have gone from pro-capitalism to pro-my people. Mm-hmm. Not pro-capitalism or anti-capitalism. Capitalism is a valuable tool. It can also be used to harm my people. I prefer it, but don't need it. If that makes me an extremist, then so be it. So kind of in this vein, um, I'm genuinely not strictly against using the state to help the elderly or to help my people economically. Um... You know, we've we've talked in the past. We we did an interview um, about spigot turning, where we're going to take the you know the cash flowing from the federal government and try to turn it towards um, you know families with children, so that they can educate their children and just give them fifteen thousand dollars a year per child for education. Um, you know, like in like this puerile sense, you know, we, we all have this immediate reaction to it because we're coming from ostensibly the libertarian right. And we think that the government doing this is like automatically bad. It's a huge no-no. Um, but I, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and say that, especially in the short term, we may need something like that. Uh, while, while technically it's it's not the sphere of the state because the state's supposed to be a sword, right? It's not supposed to be in the in the realm of helping. Um, it's supposed to be in the realm of judging. When it comes to the short term, you may need something to take care of the elderly while you're in transition. And you may need something to help out the families while you're in the transition. Uh the, the way things are, they're not going to change without an intermediary period. Um, and so you need to redirect funds. You need to redirect people's um, priorities. And you do that through tax policy. You do that through what the government's going to subsidize. You're going to do that through, um, you know, uh, uh, who who you allow to be community leaders? Um, be that be be that the uh, the pastors, 
that you give legitimacy as as the state. Um, last time we talked about not allowing you know heretics to proselytize because it's soul murder. Um, these are the kinds of things that you know for for especially an American you know we get kind of puffy about because oh that's not the job of the government um, but it may be especially in the short term uh, and and we have to be okay with that is is really the the, the crux of the issue um, all kinds of examples in the past where the state was used for things like this uh, and it, it was never meant to be a long-term thing uh, the, the way that our current government handle these things is appalling, um, especially just throwing money at people instead of trying to uh, reintegrate communities. It's all about trying to make everybody, every individual completely independent of everybody else. Um, that's obviously not what you want to do. Um, but the the organ of the state may be something that you have to use in the short term to get done what you need to get done in the interim. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so, something like more pragmatically versus, you know, the ideal standard that we set. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it, again, our, our government as a standard is just, well, let's throw money at people and make them independent financially. And that's, <laughs> That's certainly not the goal. Like, you know, one of the things that we would do is we would stop subsidizing single motherhood and we would start, yeah. you know, encouraging people to get married and have children and stay together. Um, but you, you do that through government incentive, right? Um, previously, um, your magistrate would be involved in marriages. And so he would he would be over the marriage uh, uh, ceremony. He would be part of that. And then when something happened, and you know one of them was trying to, you know, go, you know, commit adultery or something, the state would get involved, and men would be flogged, or women would have these nice little necklaces put on. Um, but you know, government's always been part of these proceedings. And I, I just I'm trying to I don't want to get so far into the alienation of the state again that we we're, we're giving into our libertarian impulses, I guess. Uh, we need to be open to the state doing a lot of things that we we normally wouldn't be. Yeah, least, I, mean, I, I tend to agree. Like one thing that I've kind of um, kind of always thought is, you know, like, like I mentioned that I'm OK with a smaller, more more localized form of socialism. So say if my my the people of my general county want to um, bequeath or, or how, what would the term be, uh, bestow upon the county government the, uh, the, the ability to handle the welfare, right? If they want to open, um, open an old folks home to take care of our elderly. I'm okay with that because then it's it's closer to home. There's more more oversight and stuff like that. I, I don't think that's a federal. I think I think this is more of a a level of authority type thing of 
the federal government does not need to be involved in, say, the food stamp program or the welfare program or any of those other type of things. Um, and, and whenever I read a statement like the statement of Christian nationalism, um, I, I'm kind of automatically thinking of, okay, they want to implement federal policies to take care of the widows and orphans. That doesn't seem kosher to me. Um, but that, that might be me just being fairly reactionary, but in, in all, in, in my defense, I mean, kind of have to be when I'm reading language like that. Where, where is the sentence again? I know I'm like looking right at this. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's literally see. one, two, three, four lines down. I see it. Caring for widows and orphans. Okay, so Christian National Conference. He calls these out as specific short-term priorities. Caring for see that's the thing like policy priorities. I don't even think I don't even think. Uh, I don't even think a positive. I think when it comes to policy, I don't think you can have positive prescriptions for certain things. Like, uh, with with reference to the law of God, and uh, like say murder, adultery, theft. Like, okay, those are obvious. But it comes to to other policies. Like caring for widows again, I, I think, I think this is something that, like you said earlier, it, the government should make it easier for private entities to do this, or 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 try to accomplish some sort of local distribute uh, distributism. Um, but again, it's going to be um, the desire and wills of that community. I don't I don't want this to turn into like, you know. Uh, a one-size-fits-all policy, you know, kind of like what we saw with COVID. You know, had, you had certain governors doing certain things, responding certain ways. And I, I remember jokingly asking a question uh, about a friend of ours who lives in Washington, uh, Pacific Northwest. And I remember saying, what hath the degenerates of Seattle to do with Piedmont, North Carolina? You know what I mean? Like, what they decide up there Okay, they can decide what's best for them. I'm, we're going to decide what's best for us, uh, how we take care of widows and orphans. If, if say, um, do you guys remember in Scripture who the poorest church is out of all the churches in Paul's letters? Do you remember which church um, it was? It was Thessalonica, right? I believe so. The Mas is the church of Macedonia. Uh, what I remember, I remember talking with one of the one of my pastors uh, a while back talking about how you know Paul would come to different churches uh, and, and it was like it was a huge contrast between the church in Macedonia Thessalonica and say the, the Roman church I think or Corinthian church one of the one of those churches was actually really wealthy and the difference is you know it's going to be um uh, those those people are going to have to decide for themselves how best to spend their money to accommodate certain needs, uh, based on how they're able to supply those needs, right? 
Um, I'm just thinking, I'm just, I'm trying to go back and I'm just trying to reference scripture a little bit for, for our listeners, you know, because they're probably sitting thinking, well, we wouldn't get to talk to the Bible because everybody's a biblicist these days. Um, but my point is, there, there is a level of practicality, I guess you could say. And there's also, there's a level of, you know, how the community best decides what's best for itself. Y'all get that? I don't know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page with you right okay. there. So, I don't, I don't, I don't it's like the, 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 the government, like defeating the LGBT agenda, uh, placing parents in control of education, and care for what is orphans, de-weaponizing, like all of these things could be had if there was a cultural Christianity pervading the country. Like these wouldn't even be things we're worried about. Matter of fact, that's the way it used to be. And I agree with Wolf, you only need 20% of the population of any community to tip the scales. We, we've seen that. That's that's how the progressive agenda is won. Everywhere they've been, a, a loud minority, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yes, you know, we should uh, seek some sort of top-down uh, response to these sinful agendas but at the same time we need to be uh aware of of our culture and and what surrounds us like that's that's really that's the whole point behind christian nationalism is to cultivate a cultural christianity from a christian culture so so if we want to we can move on down to the uh we do not the sin of racism uh, has any pull? Oh, wait. Let's first we 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 deny that seeking to maintain and assert national sovereignty against wicked global in, entities has anything to do with dislike for any particular race or nation. And then we deny that the sin of racism has any place in the Church of Jesus Christ or in a nation that seeks to honor Him. Or the contrary, a Christian nation would be impartial in judgment. Okay, so uh, I, I was kind of kind of worried about that second sentence until like the last part of it where a Christian nation would be impartial to judgment. I think they could do away with the entire sin of racism. Okay, that that entire part because what's really the sin that they're talking about here, and that's of unjust weights and measures. You know, we, 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 we should have the laws that we do or that the laws that we enact apply equally to every person. Right. Um if we you know if if murder is wrong for the Irishman than is wrong for the Anglo also. And I don't know of anybody that would deny that. Um, I mean, well, I mean, that's a, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, the whole dislike for any particular race or nation, again, this goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, I get that the, the, the word race has a that's a semantic range and that Bodie Bach and, and certain guys like him, you know, they, they have this tendency to say, there's no, there is no race, but the human race. Well, no, I mean, racism is definitely a novelty. That's not some sin in the Bible. Uh, it's, 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 it's a made up term by late sociologists, late modernity. Um, so that's why I agree with you, Travis. It's, it's something that can be stricken from this because we're talking about equal weights and measures. 
but with dislike from any particular nation. Like, listen, man, I, I don't want, I, I don't, I don't like Saudi Arabia. Does that mean I'm a sinner? Like that nation is a terrible nation. I mean, I'm not saying Arabs are bad people, flat out. I, I'm not saying that uh, they're inferior in some way, which I, I think culturally they are. But that's not a nation that I'm. I should be forced to like lest I be a sinner. You know what I'm saying? Like, what about what about South Africa right now? Like, I don't, I don't like South Africa. I mean, I like Afrikaners, but I don't like what's. I mean, again, this is another. This is where the the lines are blurred between what a nation actually actually is per ethne versus the 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 uh, the creedal nation, the propositional nation, or civic nationalism, however you want to say it, where where a nation is just an, uh, a group of ideas, which is what South Africa has essentially turned into, and that's what. America is turning into. That's what all of Europe is essentially turning into. You know, there is no European ethne, broader ethne. There's no Anglo. There's no Francian. There's no. Uh, there's no Irish or Celtic. It, it, everything is being blurred, and people are going to think I'm crazy. I, I, you know what? I don't care. There is an agenda to erase any sort of "quote unquote" white culture. Right, uh, and this, 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 that's like this sentence right here isn't even helpful for that. Like, I like my people more than other people. That's not a sin. That's because I am closer to these people, and not just in vicinity, but in culture, and in belief and conviction and conscience. Uh, this is why. I, that's why I'm not convinced a lot of people who, who say they've read Stephen Wolf's book have actually read Stephen Wolf's book. I'm not saying these guys haven't read it, but he addresses this pretty well in his book. Like, <clears throat> this is why I don't think Doug Wilson actually read his book. Because when he was, he was getting all uh, butthurt about natural affections, he was saying, like, uh, you know, you should like the, the Nigerian Anglican before... Uh, the white guy who lives on the street from me, it's like, what does that have to do with me? Like, I'm not, why would I, why would I sit there? First of all, I'm supposed to take some stranger at their word that they're a Christian. And just by virtue of them being a different color and residing on the other side of the world, the assumption is that I should prioritize them over my closest neighbor, whom I, I likewise might not know. But guess what? They have vicinity. They have, there's a concentric element to them. And we have shared roots, probably. So it makes no sense that I should prioritize that person on the other side of the world. And this could be deemed as, because this, this, is a, this is kind of an ambiguous term. Anything to do with dislike for any particular race or nation. I, this could be construed as me saying, I don't like Nigeria, even though I do. Our first baby crib came from a man in Nigeria. Uh, a friend of mine, actually. But you get what well, I'm saying. I, like, that, to say that to dislike a nation is is something you you should deny. It's like I I'm not ready. I'm not ready to to say that. I mean, Paul clearly disliked the Cretans. You know, that's a nation. 
Was was Paulins here? <laughs> well, so I'll I, I think an added context. We've talked about this before. Um, when when Jeff Davis was uh, writing some of his um, defense of the South, he talked about the Yankee race, right? Yeah. Um, and the way that race is used today, it's like, oh, it's just skin color, right? You'll hear James White say this. You'll hear um, Doug Wilson say this. You'll hear a lot of the people um, at at uh, Davenant, you know, the, the usual suspects in these latest dust-ups. Um, and, oh, it's just skin color. Well, no, it's not. Um, and and the, the term has not been used as a skin color identifier. Um, and it, the, the people of the North and the people of the South during the Civil War saw each other as separate races. They were of the same stock, but they had different cultures. So yeah. when you get when you get down to it, that really the term race is a inadequate word. It really has always been an, an, an inadequate word, but it's yeah. inadequate to talk about the conversation that we're having right now. And so I'm well, I'm. I'm more than willing and actually very desirous to just dispense with the term altogether uh, and, yeah. and, and instead talk about ethnicity. Yeah. Because I think ethnicity is a lot more of an accurate word um, for the kind of conversations we're trying to have. There right. Specific connotations in mind. Now, uh, the other problem that we have here is that people see americans as one big ethnicity when they talk about any of the stuff that we're talking about right now um especially nationalism and you see that that preference in the way that they frame this entire thing here um you know racism here is about skin color i i, I don't really think that's deniable um and then nation here you know, it's it's all about you know city states. This or not city states, uh, 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 nation states. That's what they're thinking about. Um, yeah. Do I hate French? Do I hate you know Norwegians? Do I hate you know pick a pick a a, a nation state? And do I like the people who live underneath the authority and and jurisdiction of that nation state? And so I think really what you're dealing with on this this last this denial portion of this statement is this kind of um, just bad bad language. Not that if you put you know any particular ethnicity in here that would be a lot more specific. Um, if you say we deny the sin of impartiality. Or like Travis said, unequal weights and measures. That would be a lot better of a statement here. Yeah. Uh, racism is just thrown around. It it means that you eat mayonnaise. It means that you um, read to your kids at night. It means that you um, expect people not to steal from you. It means you expect to have... Uh, 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 
the ability to walk down the street without your wife being harassed. Like these are, this is what people, and, and I could, I'm not, I'm not pulling any of that out of the air. Like I could give you the articles where this is where, this is what people are saying is racism. Um, and so I, I, I really wish that Christians specifically would just dispense with the term entirely. And, and I wish yeah. we would stop relying on the meme of, well, it's skin color. Um, because even, yeah, I, I know, I know within the, the far right circles, there's, you know, increase, well, we don't like black people. It's just like this universal, I don't like black people. And it has more to do with urban blacks than it has to do with exactly. rural blacks. Yeah. Like what, what black? Which black? Exactly. <laughs> and so even, even then, um, the right is guilty of using imprecise language because they're oh. talking about a specific group of black people. Whereas rural blacks, you could you could be around them for a very long time and really never have any problem. You see, you see no one ever seems to talk about the interethnic animosity in the country of Africa. Like you don't have to even look far between two different ethnic ethnicities, the Tutsi and the Hutus. Does any does do people forget about the Rwandan genocide? Like, like it never yes. happened. Like yes, people they massacred. Do. They massacred. I don't even remember which side massacred the other, but I, that's terrible. I know. But guess what? You know, priorities. You know, I'm not. Only reason certain certain genocides have. I only the only reason I know about certain genocides because they've been crammed down my throat as a priority for us to know, uh, and others not. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just saying. <laughs> you won't hear anybody talking about. The Holodomor or the Armenian genocide, but you'll hear. Well, I rest. I, 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 I digress. My point being, though, there are differences between people, even within with different skin colors. And we saw this, you know, not not to sound like one of these uh, one of these woke quote unquote people, but like what happened in Ireland between the Irish and the and the, and the British. I mean, these are two, they. The the uh, the British treated the Irish like they were an inferior race of people, quote unquote. Uh, there you go. There, there's there's that ambiguous language. It's, I'm, it's been so inculcate, inculcated that I can't even uh, rightly use right. language. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> and granted, you know, like I said, my last name may be Irish, but I'm genetically I'm predominantly Anglo. Uh, it's just patrilineally that's the that's the name that survived. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when I look back on my ancestors, it's like, you know, it's kind of messed up that one side of my family absolutely murked the other and thought of them as inferior. And you ask, you talk about that today. Like, if people like to bring up reparations, you know, if people like to make the retort, well, I think the British ought to, uh, you know, pay us, my Irish ancestors, you know, it's, it's a good point. And I get it, it's usually, it's tongue in cheek when it's stated, but it, it raises a, an important question are there even differences between people with the same skin color and it's yes i mean we're talking about phenotypical attributes i've seen i've seen the the caricatures and the political drawings that, that came out in great britain during these times and they portrayed the irish looking like monkeys where have you seen that before here in america with with black people or even with Italians, I've seen I've seen comic strips. You know, they 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 make Italians look like monkeys and stuff. It's like whoever you find to be inferior, you're gonna embellish their attributes. 
and you're going to make them look comically uh, inferior. You're going to make them look like monkeys or cavemen or rug brain or whatever. Uh, but the point remains, even with even with similarities, uh, phenotypical similarities, that's superficial, you know, like with your, your facial features and skin color and whatnot, there remains differences in ethnicity. <clears throat> right, so, and, and that's that's the kind of thing that needs to be discussed. And having an ethnic nation has just been the norm for history. Uh, yeah. And it what it effectively comes down to is when you mention this and you go through all the examples and you talk about how there hasn't really been a proposition nation in history ever. It's a modern invention. Right. Um, you, you get, well, all those people are racist. So basically, anybody before the proposition nation showed up was wrong on the civil government. All the church leaders, all the forefathers of the faith, uh, anybody in, in the, the Western tradition, they were all wrong. And we're right. In like the last 150 years, we're right, uh, and that that kind of a, I, I mean, we the, the term we got from Lewis was chronological snobbery, but it really, it's just arrogance. Yeah. Um, to to think that we're we're so right, you know, because we we somehow found some quote unquote scientific thing that showed that everybody's equal under the sun. You know, and and we never found that scientific thing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just an assertion that um, pop science, pop scientists um, sure. make. Uh, whereas, <laughs> if you actually go to the doctor, uh, your ethnicity plays a huge role in your health because it can even determine what illnesses that you can get. Or what illnesses you cannot get. Precisely. Do you you remember uh, my friend? Uh, do you remember my friend who died of leukemia a couple a couple years ago? I think so. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to say his name because I don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want nobody to. I don't care about me so much as I care about his his wife and his family. Sure. He was part Guatemalan, part Mexican, and he needed bone marrow. Yes, I remember this right. This right here, and me and him talked about this because you know he was he was starting to like see and understand these things. Like you know what, there there's a difference between people. It's like yeah, it's it's a very real difference. Like I can I like I wanted so badly to donate bone marrow to him, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And then I had a, a another friend who who I hooked him up with, you know, to communicate, who who actually passed away before he did. As a guy who's friends with the Navy, he was black. Could not find bone marrow to save his life, literally. And the waiting list was long too. Like this is what pisses me off. It's like, oh yeah, we're so we're so similar, but when it comes down to it, we're really not that similar. Like we are made in God's image, obviously, but we're not so similar that we can just wish away genetic differences. Real tangible. So there's there's genetic differences, there's cultural differences, and these things matter. Like I wanted so badly to say, 
to save my buddy, you know, but I couldn't. I couldn't give him my, my marriage. Well, but you know the the thing here is that the the kind of relationship that you had with him in the minds of you know the people who who read about those distinctions being made, uh, yeah. they would say that that relationship's impossible because yeah. obviously yeah. if you think that there's genetic differences between people, they must automatically be subhuman, right? <laughs> that that's the well, I mean that's exactly where their mind goes. So if oh, you yeah. make distinctions, therefore you must belittle them automatically. Well, yeah, and well, there are jackasses who go that far. Sure, but you know, but, but they're no, but they're no threat. Like, like they're no threat to us compared to the the, the tranny lovers trying to chop off kids' penises. Like, really, like really super right wing people like that. That's that's the those are the people prioritizing. And focusing our sights on, like, really? Well, so <laughs> let, let's take an extreme example here, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we can cut this out if you guys don't want to signal boost him. Uh, but Corey Mahler. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, right. We've got a disavowal now. Uh, yeah. um, I, dis disavowal. I disavow nobody. Um, so Corey Mahler puts up a tweet that says, interracial marriage is tantamount to murder. And so I read the article that was associated with the tweet, and the tweet was just a very spicy way of saying that people who are in, you know, interethnic marriages can have the problem that your buddy did, Neil. Yeah. That life-saving surgeries like bone marrow transplants or uh, uh, any kind of, any kind of transplants, uh, donation of blood. Uh, become extremely difficult statistically with people who are in an internet, you know, result of an interethnic marriage. And Corey Mahler's concern was with people who were of mixed race. He wants to make sure that people of other ethnicities get medical attention. So while everybody's screaming because he apparently hates black people. He's actually showing a general con a general concern for black people, thinking that black people ought to have kids, and their kids ought to have the ability to have good medical care. And of yeah. course, he says it in in a in a very a very inflammatory way, and you know he we have our criticisms, uh, but you know it, it's one of those things people just react to the tweet. And they don't actually read further into it. Oh, and I, they're, they're, they're I did this initially. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what?" Um, and then I read his article, and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, I get what he's saying." Um, yeah. I think I think he's a slight detour, but I, I think he's just he's a he's an online troll. He likes to say things that are provocative just to get a response. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> You know, even even in that case, though, uh, whatever people have said about him, people have called him a national socialist. I don't know if that's true. Um, he's the kind of guy I can see just accepting the meme. But even someone like him shows a general concern for black people and other races, other ethnicities, because he wants them to be fine. He wants them to live a good, healthy life. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I, again, like all of this kind of comes back to, you know, we're we're all guilty of it, but racism is a really bad term, uh, and this over over concern uh, posting about racism, where you should constantly disavow racism at every turn. I just yeah. I, I I could you could remove that entirely, and and it would be yeah. fine. Well, one last point, if, if Travis doesn't mind. Uh, I want to nip this, too, because I've heard this rebuttal about uh, when you said there's no examples of civic nationalism or proposition nationalism or whatever. Uh, I heard the response what too long ago. Well, what about the Roman Empire? Or what about the Greek Empire? Uh, uh, you know, these were expanded borders. And in a sense, you could say the, this was the Roman Empire was in a sense a nation that encompassed multiple cultures. And it's like, well, yeah, it, they didn't. There's a massive difference. That, that is called an anachronism. Okay. Right. The difference is the Roman Empire allowed the existence of nations within their empire. Hell, just look at the New Testament. They allowed the Jews to have their own courts. Yeah, people forget about that. <laughs> and, well, hell, I mean, just look at America. Look at look at certain parts of Michigan. Look in Great Britain. My goodness, dude, we were allowing the Chinese to have police departments here in America to police their own people. Right. It, it's not – look, civic nationalism is a <laughs> – it's, it's a spook. It is a it is it is one of those things that I think is just a massive distraction that all all it's meant for is to break down to equivocate the true meaning of nationalism for the sole purpose of breaking down our borders. It is it yeah. is globalism. Because guess who the biggest proponents of civic nationalism are? Neoconservatives. Going back and reading Paul Gottfried's uh multiculturalism and the politics of guilt. He gets into that a little bit, like touches on that throughout the book. Like neocons do not have a proper understanding of what a nation nation is, and then they want they want to export their ideas, their ideals rather. They want to export these ideals throughout the world, essentially making an empire. But the, the problem is they're not seeking to maintain individual nations. They're seeking to to rid the world of any uh any kind of real nation, any kind of real nation, for the sake yeah. of control and power. And, and there, there's a the the neoliberals and the neoconservatives, uh, and even well, I'll, I'll stop there. So the neoliberals and neoconservatives, really, the only thing they truly agree on is a form of corporate nationalism, yeah. where, uh, you know, I just saw, uh, uh, man, what's his name? <laughs> He was the vice president for Trump. Uh, Mike Pence. Mike Pence gets up there, and you know he he's he's gonna he's gonna talk about how we need to we need to promote the free market, right? So it, his form of nationalism is I don't care what color you are, I don't care what ethnicity you are, I don't care anything else. I want to make sure that we're able to promote our corporate interests to you. I want to make sure that our corporations can come in and dominate your local markets. 
right? And, and that's the yeah. result. Like the neoliberals agree with that because they all control the big corporations, right? And so it's it's not really a they're effectively working on the same side. Uh, Mike Pence will have some Christian things about him, and I think he genuinely believes what he's saying is right. Um, I think he's bought off in a lot of ways, so I'm not yeah. absolving him. But in this specific instance, if you take him as genuinely believing what he what he says, he is just he's just a tool for people like big tech to own you. And he's fine with that because it's the free market, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Horse beat. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep. Just a